0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. One of the things that I've come to find out is that the greater knowledge I've had of who I am, in Christ in particular, uh, the greater measure of success I've been able to have in this life. Because if you don't know who you are, then you'll never be able to manifest who God says that you are. As a, and I'm going to get into this verse here in a little bit, but as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How many of you all believe that that verse is true? The way that you see yourself, the way you think about yourself is vitally important. And so last week I started talking about just um, having a prosperous soul in 3 John. uh, I think it's 3 John, if my memory serves me correctly, and there's only one chapter in verse 2. It says, uh, Beloved, I wish above all that you would prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers or or in accordance with or in proportion to. The development or the prosperity of your soul. And when you talk about prosperity, we automatically just go to finances. And although God does want us to be uh, blessed financially and to prosper financially, He absolutely desires that our soul prospers. And our souls, we talked about, it's different than our spirit and our body. And we're made up of three parts 2 Thessalonians, I think it's 2 Thessalonians 5 and 23. It says that now may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, your whole, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so our whole person is made up of those three parts. And so when we got born again, the spirit, the spirit man got, got uh, saved and changed and totally made new. It looks exactly like Jesus. Our spirit couldn't look any more like Jesus right now. Than what it is exactly right now. We look just like Jesus. This is why we're so powerful whenever we go to face the enemy. It's because we look like Jesus to him. And the only thing that is a dead giveaway is when we say silly stuff. And he's like, well, there's, yeah, that's not Jesus, but I'm still scared of him because they have his armor on. Amen. And so, you know, whenever the, the, we go before the enemy or to deal with stuff, we have the same authority and really we have the same nature and everything that Jesus, that Jesus has. As Jesus is in this world, so are we. Just like he was in this world, so are we. He was the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was born from the lineage of God. In the natural, he was born from the lineage of Mary and, and Joseph, right? Well, pfft, God and Mary. Joseph Joseph had no part of that. That's why it was the Virgin Mary. But anyways, he was born from the lineage of of, uh, Mary in the natural, but it was God spiritually. And he was the firstborn among many brethren. And now we have been born again into this new covenant, born again into this new nature. And just as Jesus is, and just as he was, and just as he is, so are we in this world. Seated uh, far above all principality and power with him in heavenly places. I'm telling you what, we got the best deal. We got the best deal. We got all of, we got none of the assets and we got all of the liabilities. We got all of the assets and none of the liabilities. I was just checking to make sure you guys are paying attention. (laughs) That's not the worst thing that I've said, so I feel pretty good. I'll never forget the time I was standing here and I said, there's no reason to remind everybody of that. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so uh, praise the Lord. So. We got the best deal. You know, when you enter into a covenant with, with somebody, you take not only take on their liabilities, but you take on their assets. Well, so we entered into covenant with God, and the deal was is that he didn't have any liabilities. All he had and all he has are assets. So he took all of our liabilities, and he gave us all of the benefits, benefits and the assets that he had. We get, to, we get all of those. Isn't that awesome? I mean, what a privilege. We got the best deal. And uh, so understanding this can really, can really really help. And really, t- for me, this was the difference maker uh, for when I started to to actually move forward in my relationship with the Lord and begin to manifest and begin to understand how things work and begin to manifest what God has for me. Because I was so confused for a long time. I'd read these verses that say, I am this person. I have this in Christ Jesus. I am healed. I am all this, these things. But then I would... Would have these experiences, or I'd have these thoughts, I'd have emotions, I would have feelings, I'd have all kinds of things that were out of place. And I was confused. I'm like, wait a second, God, you say over here that I have this thing, but then you see how I'm acting and thinking and believing over here. You see the trouble that I have. Which one is true? Well, they're both true. It's just understanding the difference between the spirit and the soul. And this is where a lot of people get confused. And as a matter of fact, we've been saying a song tonight, which is interesting because I picked the set list, but. We talked about uh, there's a place I long to be where my spirit, what is that, what are the words, huh? Where my spirit longs to be, that's, a non, that's nonsense, we should change the words of that. You're, are, there's a place my eyes can't see where my spirit longs to be. Your spirit's already connected with the Lord. Your spirit is already one with him. Your spirit can't be any more with the Lord than what it is right now. But anyways, we take a little bit of liberty with songs because not everybody cares the same revelation that we do and we don't write our own songs yet. So that's just how it goes sometimes. Praise the Lord. And we just worship God with what we have. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about this. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say something here and then I'm going to flip the board around. I feel like I'm flipping this board around. But I want to say something here about, and so I had circled this because this is the part of you that's complete. 100% your your spirit, man, is the part that it, it's, it's a done deal. And so we're in the process of taking what God's done in our spirit and manifesting it into our body and into our life, into our soul, all of that. But there is a, this now, I'm going to just, I try not to do this. I feel like I say this probably every other week. I use the word, the term kentology, but I try to tell you when it's something I believe that I can't exactly prove to you from the word, and you just do whatever you want to with it. But when you look at the the, the heart, which I'm going to get into some verses about the heart here tonight, when you look at the heart, um, sometimes it will make reference to the spirit, which is this, and then other times it will make reference to the soul. And there's over 800 Bible verses that use the word uh, that use the word heart in reference to things in the inner man, and I believe the heart, and I believe the spirit and the soul. It's it's all uh, it's all spirit substance, if you will. And so you know your soul, even though it's not your spirit, it's it's not your body. It's it's still part of the inner workings of what's going on inside of you. But there is a difference between spirit and soul. Even Hebrews chapter four and verse twelve says the same thing. It says the word of God is. Uh, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between uh, joints and marrow and um, and the soul and the spirit. So there's a difference, again, between the soul and the spirit. But the word heart sometimes, we'll talk about, it'll make reference to the word spirit and it'll make reference to the word soul. And this is what I believe. And this is what I'm saying is kentology, all right? I believe that your heart is the bridge um, and this is this is not an exact picture, all right? I'm just doing the best I can with my ability to write and draw and all that. But I believe it's like the bridge between your spirit and your soul, and you would call this, we would call this our belief system. And I've talked to, you know, my, one I refer to often as my spiritual father, Pastor Bobby, and uh, you guys have never met him before, but um, so he he believes this exact same thing about, about this, that when you're talking about your heart, and I didn't write heart up there, did I? That's what I was getting at, is your heart is the bridge kind of between those two things because I think you can have some things in your heart that are really, really right and some things in your heart that are really, really not right. I think it leans more towards the side of the soul, but I, I felt it necessary to distinguish this because the Bible uses the word heart so much that you can't just say it's not part of us because it is part of us. But what part is it? Because if it says that we're our whole person is a spirit, soul, and a body, well, then where does the heart fit in? And I believe the heart primarily is in the realm of the soul, but your belief system, how you believe causes us to be able to bring what's true spiritually over and manifest it into our life. And that's where I believe that our heart really is. And so going back to verse that I, I mentioned earlier, Proverbs uh, 23 and 7, it says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so the, again, the way that we think and the way that we believe in our heart is what causes the manifestation from what God says to be true to actually begin to work in our life. All right, so I'm going to talk to you tonight a little bit about how to really keep a healthy soul and what a healthy soul or a prosperous soul looks like. I'm going to break this down a little bit more. You know, I, sometimes I go through streaks where I, I'm very, uh, I'm very teachy. Other times I'll just preach, and other times the Lord will have me, you know, prophesy or do different things. But I'm very much in, in teaching mode right now. So if you take notes, this is a great time to take notes. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, and so you know, this is it's important that we know how to keep the realm of our soul uh, healthy because. I believe that our soul is like a a valve that will either stop or it will be open and come into alignment with the spirit and with the word of God to release what's true in the spirit, to release what's in our spirit, to release from the spirit of God inside our spirit and from the word of God. If our mind, will, emotions, and conscience is lined up with it, it will release the life of God into our life. So that's where the rubber meets the road is that we have our our soul, it's almost like a valve, and if you could imagine, imagine a picture, I'm not dare going to try to draw another picture, but if you could imagine, you know, a, a pipe, anybody that has ever done any plumbing or if there's a plumber or something, you know that when the, the, uh, the shutoff valve is perpendicular to the pipe, then that thing is closed and that water that's in there will no longer flow. But when you turn the, the handle, you know, you turn it parallel, then that means that that valve is open. It's in alignment, right? And that valve is open and things are able to flow. Well, that's exactly how our soul is. When our mind or will, emotions, and conscience come into alignment with what's true in our spirit, then we will, re- we will receive, release, manifest the, the blessing and the benefits that God has and he's already given to us. And this is something I could go into a whole thing, and I won't at the moment, but let me just say this, that it's, it's worth duly, triply noting that when it comes to what's true about us, what God says about us, and every promise that's in the word of God for us, every promise of the Lord is yes. That's God's yes. We say yes, but it's God's yes, and in him, amen. So you don't ever have to wonder, does God want me to have it? Does God love you? then God wants you to have it. It's as simple as that. Now, there can be some things that, that deal with timing, where the Lord will help you step into things, to where you might have greater, uh, grow in your capacity to be able to handle things and steward more, things like that. But as far as like the Lord blessing you and just taking care of you, He He is your daddy first. This is why it says... Jesus had prayed in this manner. He said, our Father. He didn't say our Creator, our Master. He didn't say uh, any, any other thing that could describe God, even though that would have been true to describe God in any other way. He first said, Father. We came into the kingdom being born or adopted. Both really are true in the Spirit. That we've been both born into the kingdom of God, born into the family of God, and we've been adopted into it. And so our, all of the benefits as, son, as being sons and daughters of God, they're freely given to us, and he'll never withhold anything from us. So I, I really believe the level of, of what we walk in in this life is limited by us. It's not limited by God. We're the ones that put the limits on what God wants to do in our life. We're the ones that put limits on the favor and the blessing and the anointing and the provision and all and all of that. And I'm not I'm not condemning anyone. I'm believing God. Who in here is believing God for some more, for some increase? Man, we're all there. We all should be there. I'm not saying I've arrived and there's no condemnation, but this is how this works. And so we just have to get to a place where we realize that God's on our side, it's already been provided. See, there was a lot of um, teaching for years, and I and I consider myself to be a, a faith minister. It's funny when people <laughs> When they criticize me, uh, the critics criticize me, they'll be like, you're one of those faith preachers. And I'm like, thank you. Yes, I I am, because Jesus was a faith preacher. I mean, go and look at the person that talked about faith more than anybody. It It was Jesus. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And, you know, all of the things that Jesus talked about faith, he was a faith preacher. But I am also a grace preacher. And when I say I'm a grace preacher, it's not just about God loving us and forgiving us, although I thank God for that, and it includes that. It's also about the provision, because your faith by itself is not powerful. God's grace all by itself, I'll say it like this, isn't powerful. Yes, it's powerful, but it's not activated until faith is brought into the picture. So it's a true picture or a balance of grace, God's part, and faith, our part. And so there was a time back in, I, I don't remember what the time period had been, probably the 70s, the end of the 80s, when Brother Hagan taught the body of Christ, faith. That was what he was commissioned to do. That's what God told him to do. And before that, the church didn't know how to believe God for anything. And so there was this huge wave of, of faith that God taught people faith. He taught them how to believe God, how to speak the word, how to believe the word. And I thank God for that. But it's interesting that when the, when the pendulum swings, it usually swings way too far. It's just people are just like that. And so you had all this emphasis on faith that it, that it was from God. But then there came like in the, I'll say in the, the late 90s, almost to present day, there was this, there's been a huge increase of teaching on grace and God's provision and God's un, unearned, unmerited favor and those kind of things. And so then what happened is that people got all the way to the other side. And I, I've actually met many, many people that would say, we're not into that faith stuff. And they're just, they're just looking at grace and they're like, we're, we're just those faith preachers or just they're, they're legalistic. Well, there was some legalism that got involved with some of the, the faith people. They got so heavy on what they had to do and you got to do and you got to confess and you got to do and you got to confess and you got to believe. And it was so heavy on what we were doing that there was no trust in God's grace. But now we've been in this, this thing, like I said, the pendulum almost always swings too far the other way, and we've been in this, this, this other mold here for a while where God's really been helping people understand uh, grace, and he's been teaching grace that some people are, are so stuck in it, they've thrown off faith completely, and they're wondering why they're not manifesting things right. And it's not, it's not faith or grace, it's the balance between the two that causes us to manifest that causes us to walk in what God's given us. So grace says God's given it. It's his power. It's his ability on an unearned, unmerited basis. There's not anything we can do to get God to give it to us because he's already given it to us on an unearned, unmerited basis. However, if you just say it's completely up to God and you don't appropriate faith, you ain't going to receive nothing. We are both faith people and we are grace people. Hallelujah. Let me say that's some good word. So... um. I want to talk to you about, which I said 10 minutes ago and haven't gotten to it, but I I am going to get to it right now, about keeping our soul healthy. And I really believe this is important because, like like I said, as a matter of fact, let's pull up 3 John. This is a verse from, we had last week, but 3 John, let's just look at this really quickly. Uh, There's only one chapter and then verse 2, 3 John 1 and 2, and let's all look at this. And we're going to springboard off of this to to help propel us into where we're going. It says... Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health. And I just I know I quoted it, but I just wanted to see it, and be in health just as or in accordance to the prosperity of your soul. So that I don't think that you can really put a value on how important or or measure how important it is for our soul to prosper. And again, we're talking about our mind, will, emotions, and conscience. And so there's these three parts that are made up that determine. Uh, what, what our soul is, and I believe that our mind, just like our physical brain, that you don't do anything inside of, with your body, you don't do anything with your body without your brain being a part of it. If you're going to move, if you're going to talk, if you're going to say something, if you're going to, I mean anything, all of your organs functioning, they all function in conjunction. If we're talking about your physical body, they all work in conjunction with your physical brain. Agreed? Well, your soul is the exact same way. And I think, even though I said I wasn't going to draw any more pictures, I'm going to draw one more. Here's another. Nobody is a, nobody's a circle, okay? Some of us are more round than others, but nobody's really a circle. <laughs> Come on now. That was a good joke. It wasn't good, but it was a little bit funny. So you, you could imagine. I don't think you can really see this very well from here. But if you have your, your, uh, your will, your emotions, and your conscience, they're all connected to each other. But they almost kind of operate independent of each other, but they don't operate independent of your mind, which I really believe is the central focus of your soul. If your mind's messed up, everything else is going to be messed up. If your mind is in good shape, then you have a much higher potential of getting everything else that needs to be in line put into alignment, but every one of these things are extremely important. And so how do you keep your mind, which is your central processing unit, is what I call it, your central processing unit, how do you keep it healthy? And again, this is very important to understand that there's a difference between your brain and your mind. I didn't understand this for for a lot of years. I just thought they were the, the same thing. But your mind caters to your brain. It feeds your physical brain. And so what you do in the realm of your, your soul, in particular with your mind, uh, that's where, that's how you process things. That's how you think through things. That's, that's where you build strongholds at. And see, a lot of the, a lot of, this is why the battleground is in the realm of the mind. Because what the enemy is doing is really the same thing that God's doing. He's just perverting things. If you ever, if you ever see and get a hold of what the enemy is doing, it's basically always the same thing that God is doing, except he just perverts it. Because he doesn't doesn't create anything. God's the creator. Satan's not the creator. He doesn't create anything. He takes God's system, and he takes it, and he warps it, and uses it to work against us. And God's the one that gave us the ability to create strongholds. It was a God-breathed thing. You could imagine that if we couldn't create, and we wouldn't use this term, but what is a stronghold? A stronghold is... If you think of like medieval times or even like a bank vault would be considered a type of a stronghold, but it's where it's where valuables are kept safe. Well, there are things that God has given in this earth that are valuable information to us that if we didn't have the ability to retain it, you could imagine we would just be all, we would be all over the place. But like for example, when God created Adam and Eve and and he knew it was between one man and one woman, it was like an automatic, if you will, it was an automatic stronghold that was there embedded into them that that was the right way to go about doing things. Can you see that? Can you see that that was was something that God gave? So what the enemy does is he just comes in, and he brings thoughts, he brings lies, he brings deceptions, he brings offenses, all the things that can be in the realm of the mind, and that's where he's working to build what? Strongholds. They're just wrong strongholds. So the the reason this is so important is that if you can take the wrong strongholds, begin to identify them and break them down, then you can take the word of God and you can build right strongholds. So this is really important when it comes to the realm of your identity and our identity because what what God says about us is different than what the enemy says about us. The enemy would say we're not worth loving. He would say that we're nobody, that we can't do anything, that we can't accomplish anything, that we'll never amount to anything, that, you know, whatever it is, you, you fill in the label he would put put on you, and, and if you take that and you begin to believe that and you meditate on it and you speak it, before you know it, you will build a stronghold inside of you that becomes really, really hard to be or believe or think anything different than what you've allowed the enemy to instill on the inside of you but if you can identify those lies that you're living by pull them out and sometimes you know it's like you could be in a you could be in a service and the holy ghost could come and he could just totally wreck that stronghold i've had that happen before just a supernatural boom just just i like i like holy ghost wrecking ball that's quick that's a quick work amen i like that but a lot of times and most of the times it's like I'll identify, oh, I'm I'm thinking that right there. I believe that's that's wrong because God's word says this and I'm believing that that's not right. And so sometimes what you got to do is you got to go in and brick by brick begin to dismantle that thing that the enemy has built. Get all of that out of the way. And then you say, all right, Lord, and here's where it's important. You have to go and say, Lord, you teach me what's right, and I'm going to build a stronghold concerning what's right, and I'm not going to believe anything different, and I'm going to build a stronghold about what's right, and it's going to be so difficult for me to believe anything different and, and or for the enemy to bring anything at me to cause me to believe something different because it's a stronghold in my mind and my heart. This can work in the realm of fear. Some people operate in so much fear. And fear is a stronghold. It's it's a way of thinking inside of our minds. And if we can bring that stronghold down, we can replace it with God's love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if we just build a stronghold of God's love in our heart and our mind, fear will just go by the wayside. See, this is a powerful tool that God's given us to be able to cause us to be strong and strengthened in our mind and get the right results. Somebody say right results. Everybody say right results. So here's how, here's how you have a healthy mind. Here's what you have to do. If you're taking notes, this is where you can really write something down here. I'm not going to take the time to write it. I'm just going to read it to you. But to keep your mind healthy, you have to guard it, and you have to renew it. And you have to renew it, and then you have to guard it, and you have to keep doing those things. So the word says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the what? the renewing of your mind. Is that renewing your spirit? No, your spirit got renewed when you got born again. God gave you a brand new spirit. You're a new creation in Christ. It's about bringing your mind into alignment with what God says is already true about you. And you do that by getting into the word and coming into agreement, into alignment with what the word says. Hallelujah. And you know, the enemy is going to fight you on this. Because we've built, we've—I'll uh, say—we've built, we've we have built, but it's been with the the lies of the enemy that we've built wrong strongholds, and you got to do some work. And here's the deal: you got to understand. Everybody's got to listen to me when I'm telling you this is really, really important. This is a key we miss when when destroying wrong strongholds and putting right ones in. But the word talks about, and it'll come to me in a moment, I'm sure. But Jesus, Jesus talked about the the particular reference, um, but about whenever demons get cast out, whenever demons are removed, it says that, that when uh, things are put in order and the demon that was cast out, when it comes back and it sees that things are, are put in order, it will bring seven other demons back with it. Why? Because you would think having things in order is enough, but it's not enough. You have to fill it. You can't just have an orderly house. You have to have a filled house. You have to have a filled mind. So it's not about just removing the old. It's about putting the correct, the right in its place. It's beyond essential that we do that. And so it's not just taking the wrong thoughts and casting them aside. It's going, what does God say? And then you go, and it's, and it's also not enough to just read it. We don't, ever, we don't ever retain and we certainly don't walk in any amount of information the first time that we hear it it's That's not just not how we're we're wired I mean, I suppose we could, but as a general rule, we have to hear things repetitively in order to for it to really become a new vein, a new pathway in order for it to be a stronghold in our mind. We have to repetitively have communication and interaction with that information, and then once information which amen once information um, which is knowledge, knowledge and information are the same thing. Once it turns into understanding or we gain understanding, we have revelation on that. Then, then we get application or wisdom. And when we get to the point to where we can apply revealed knowledge is when we really, really got a hold of the thing. And then we just keep walking in it. Man, this is some good stuff. So we have to guard our heart, and we have to, our mind, excuse me, and we have to renew it. Proverbs 23, 7, let's pull this up here really quickly. Proverbs 23, 7, man, this is good. Hallelujah. And it says, for as he thinketh, in some translation says, for as a man thinketh, I think it's the King James says as a man, but it's talking about as a man. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That statement, I don't have time to go and talk about all of it in context, but that statement all by itself definitely holds truth and holds weight and is very important. And I want to show you something. That word for thinks is the Hebrew word, S-H-A-W-Dash-A-R. Not going to try to pronounce it. Yes, I am. It's like Shar-R or something. I don't know. I'm not Hebrew. But uh, the word thinketh is that, that, uh, that word or that phrase, and it denotes two Things in particular in that, it, it talks about, and you can go look this up on your own and you can see this, but that word thinks or think it there, it denotes two things, a gatekeeper and to estimate, to gatekeep and to estimate. So gatekeeping, when you're, it's as you're, as you're thinking in your heart, gatekeeping is what you do and estimating is how you do it gatekeeping is what you do. Estimating is how you do it. So just imagine this. Go back with me into medieval times. And, you know, you're you're the gatekeeper for the city, right? And so you're there, and you've got your shield. You've got your sword, and you've got your helmet on, and you're on, on guard. And you're there, and you hear a knock on the gate. I'm just imagining this is how it works. I know this is somewhat true how it used to work, right? And So you're there, and you you knock at the gate. There's a knock at the gate, and since you're the gatekeeper, that is what you are doing. But how do you do the job? You have to estimate. You have to give an account, if you will. You have to look and see that what is on the other side, is it right for it to come into the kingdom or not? So what do you do? You open up the little door, right? We've seen this before in movies or whatever. You open up the little door, and you peek out. If it's something that's not a friend to the kingdom, you close the door and say, get out of here. Or you close the little hatch and you say, get out of here. Because you have to be able to view things, but you don't have to let everything in. Brother Hagin said this one time. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. See, you can't stop thoughts and things like that from coming, but you can estimate whether those thoughts are beneficial to you or not. You can estimate whether those thoughts belong. because see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where is it? It's right here, right here. This is where the war- warfare is taking place, and this is where the kingdom of God is, right here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you are a gatekeeper, and you have to gatekeep, which is what you're doing, but how you do it is you estimate to see if that thing really belongs in your mind or not. And then the word says in Proverbs four twenty three to guard your heart. With all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life, your heart, your mind, that, that area of your belief system. Praise the Lord. So that's what you do for your mind to keep it healthy is you guard it, and then you continue to renew it. And then your will, and I'm going to move through this a little bit faster. Your will, this is how you keep your will healthy. Remember that your will is your, um, it's your internal motivator, and it's a combination of willingness and obedience, it's your internal. so your mind is your your internal processor or your central processing unit, but your will is your internal motivator. Your will is a thing that will keep you going in the direction direction that you should go, motivated, if you will, spiritually to go in, in the right direction, or if it's not set right, it could be going in the wrong direction. You ever met people that it's like they got they've got right, right doctrine, like they believe right, but it's like their their whole they just continue to go. The wrong direction. And what I find is that when people are not at a place of surrender, they can have all the knowledge in the world that, that they want, but it's not going to do them any good until they come to a place of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. So the health of your will is staying at a place of continual and constant exchange with the will of the Father. Liz listen, I have to do this. You know how many times over the years... <clears throat> That wasn't a fake cough. It sounded like I was. my throat's (laughs) dry. Over the years, but over the years, we've, (laughs) you can laugh at me, it's fine. You know, we've been to the place of just like, like, we just want to throw in the towel. I mean, we've had, we've had some serious stuff we've had to deal with. We've had uh, sand ballots come against us. We've had, you know, I'm not going to get into all the details, but Man, when you got to deal with junk, sometimes it'll just make you want to quit. That's when we had to just go back to prayer and say, you know what, Lord? Not our will, but your will be done. And we didn't do it one time. Living a life of submission, living a life on the altar. I quoted Romans 12.2. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. The problem the only problem with the living sacrifice is that it's still alive. Cause that, God, we're not we're not dead in Christ. Amen. We're alive in Christ. Thank you. That's a cold one. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the cold one. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just made an alcohol reference. I don't, would you open that for me? Thank you. I forgive me, Jesus. Can you take the lid off too, please? Mm mm. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. Cold, that's what I need. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so uh, it's, it's important that we continue to, to exchange our will with the Father. It's, a, it's, a, it's an onward act. And so, you know, the problem with the living sacrifice, that's where I was at. The problem with the living sacrifice is that it's alive. And so it's hard to be alive and be dead at the same time. But it's the life that we're called to. We're called to be alive in him, but at the same time continue to be on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want. Whatever you want. It's about you, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. It's not about me. The further I get in my walk with the Lord, the further I go in ministry, the more the Lord requires this of me. And the more I do this with the Lord, the better the results I get. Every time I find any problem in any situation, primarily in here, it always goes... almost always goes back to I have to go lord not my will but your will be done you want me to do this thing i really want to pull out and you know you know not do this or not have this meeting or not have this interaction or sometimes it's just as simple as i really don't feel like getting up and reading the bible i know you guys probably imagine that that i wake up in the in the morning with fresh breath and you know my my hair is combed perfectly and you know it's just like it's just like a a a fresh breeze through the house, but everything's opposite of that many mornings. And so I have to make the choice to get up and go, not my will, Lord, but yours, (laughs) yours be done, you know? And he's got to smell my rotten breath while I do it. But anyways, you know, forget all that. So I have a very, I have a very quirky personality and I try to rein it in when I'm at the pulpit, but it just, I can't help it sometimes. Um, so praise the Lord, it's a constant thing of saying, not my will, but your will be done. And the more we do that, the greater the benefits we reap. And that's how you uh, keep your will healthy. So I'm talking about how to keep things healthy. Your mind, you guard it, you renew it, your will, you continue to exchange it with the will of the Father. Just like Jesus said when he said, not my will be done, but your will be done, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Right? And I don't think anybody, any one of us are going to have to be at a place. It's possible, but be at that place in our life, definitely not to sacrifice for the whole world. There was only one that did that, and it was Jesus. And he was sweating blood, and he said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that this can take place, please let this cop pass before me. I really don't want to do this thing. And there wasn't sin. See, you can communicate with the Lord and it not be sin. You can just say, God, I'm struggling here. I'm having a hard time here. But you ultimately have to fall back on God, ultimately, it's what you want. It's not my will. It's your will that I want to be done in this life because that is the best thing always. Surrender is a one-time decision but a continual act. Let me move on to the emotions. Here's how you keep your, your emotions healthy. Are you ready for this? Emotions should always be the caboose. They should never be the engine. Emotions make a terrible leader. Emotions should never lead us in anything. Emotions can be an indicator. As a matter of fact, that's what I consider emotions to be is an internal indicator. Sometimes you can feel or sense things. You you can have emotions that will come. And it can either tell you something like the Lord can use your emotions to help you see something you might not otherwise have seen. But it also can be an indicator as to where you're at in your life. Amen. Thank you. Come on, we've all been we've all been there. You get a rotten attitude about something, and then you get you know, for men, it's not we're not being emotional. We might talk about our wives like, oh, she's just so emotional. Well, she's just maybe she maybe she cries more, but you know, you getting angry or spouting off something or you know, pouting or whatever, whatever it is you might do, that's also being led by your emotions, right? And so. When we are, our emotions are out of whack, it can be an indicator of like, whoa, I need to go back and change my thinking. Maybe I need to get my will in alignment. There's something going on there where I need God to bring some refreshing to my soul. And so your emotions can really be the thing that can help you see that. And that's, that's part of the reason, part of the reason that God gave us emotions. But really, emotions are the spice of life. Imagine if we didn't have any emotions. It would be. It'd be like a bunch of robots, so we're supposed to have emotions. We relate to people uh, on an emotional level. It's good to relate to people like that, it's good to have those things in life, but they're not supposed to be the leader, they're absolutely supposed to be the caboose, not the engine. The caboose, amen. And so, here is the realm of the conscience. And for the remainder of the time, I'm going to talk about the conscience and how to keep it healthy. Let's go to Hebrews actually go to Hebrews 9 and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Hebrews 9 and 1 Peter chapter 3 and we're going to look at a couple different verses here together and talk about the conscience and I I believe that the the conscience uh, it it feels like to me that it's a smaller part of our soul especially compared to the mind but it might be the most important part. And I think you're going to see this and you're going to understand what I mean by, by when I say that. And it's because our conscience is really, and I call it our, our internal decision maker. And so the, the level that our conscience, the level of the health of our conscience is going to make the, is going to be the determining factor on what decisions we make. Now, it's not outside of the realm of your mind. You know, your mind works in conjunction with it. So you're you're going to think about things before you do it. You're going to think about things before you make a decision. But your conscience, the health of your conscience, whether it's a defiled conscience, whether it's a clean conscience, whether it's a, it's a, um, a seared conscience, is going to feed heavily into the decisions that you make. This is why you can have somebody... That is and that can go down a wrong, not a wrong track, but it will track and I don't have time to get on. But just like look at the violence and stuff that's happening with some of our younger people. I I don't even understand it. Like some of these 18, 19, 20, even to 30 year olds, maybe, that will go in and they'll they'll shoot up a school. And then they'll they'll interview them or they'll see things about them. And it's like they almost it's almost like they have no conscience. And some people would say they have no conscience. They do have a conscience, it's just seared. It's like they, they've lost uh, the ability to have any kind of empathy or compassion for people, and they can go in and, and do this stuff, and it's almost like they don't even care. And so, yes, it's, it's very demonic, but also the, the realm of their conscience has gotten so seared through all of the hurt and the pain and the issues and the abuse and whatever they've gone through that they've come to this point to where they're like, basically, their conscience will allow them to do things like that. But see, when you have somebody, then you take somebody that has a, um, you know, maybe you could say it's almost like a tender conscience. Like they, they, won't, they won't say or do things um, that are outside of the scope of what really they feel comfortable between them and the Lord. This would be a good thing and they're really, they're really careful about maybe not speaking ill of somebody or, or not watching something that they, they, they shouldn't watch or any, anything like that. The conscience is really soft in a person like that, and it, and it works as, a, as kind of an indicator, but also like, no, no, I'm not going to do that thing because I don't feel right about that. That's the, realm, that's the realm of the conscience. And it's interesting because I've heard people say, and I even heard one uh, very well-known minister, no need to mention his name, but he was talking about the spirit, and he was saying that your spirit and your conscience are the same thing. Well, that sounds, could sound good, but the problem is, is that your conscience can be seared, your conscience can be heavy, it can be guilt-ridden, it can be all kinds of things, but it's impossible for your spirit man to be any of that. And so your conscience definitely, absolutely is in the realm of your soul, and it's important that it's set right because it will help us make the right decisions, and it will help us make right decisions when relating to the Lord. You want to know the number one, here's the number one reason. Why people that are believers don't go into the presence of God. Are you ready? Here's the number one reason. Because they have a guilty conscience. Number one reason. And sometimes their guilty conscience isn't because they've been doing or did something really bad. It's because they view themselves through the lens of humanity and not through the lens of Christ. And if you don't allow the Spirit of God to cleanse your conscience... Then you'll always see yourself through, through works, what you did wrong or what you're not doing right. You won't have a clean conscience, and you will stay out of the presence of God. Praise the Lord. Let's read here in 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter, yes, chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. I'm going to read this relatively fast. For Christ also suffered once for sins. If anybody ever wonders if our, our, our redemption is eternal we better hope that it's, that it's an eternal redemption because he's not going to pay the price again. One time he did this. So if it doesn't cover even future tense sins, the best bet, if that's the truth, the best bet is come up here, let's get you born again, and then somebody's just got to kill you. Because if there's, no, if there's no hope for your future sins, then you're doomed. But praise God, it covers even future tense sins. Doesn't that just make you want to go out and live in sin? and i've had people tell me this for years and i'll preach on like eternal eternal redemption and i don't do it as much anymore but uh i think it was the enemy would send people to make me try to question what i what i was ministering to be true or not and i just i'm like it's in the word it's it's true but they'd come up and say pastor if you say things like that people will just don't want to live in sin if they feel like that god's not going to come against them for their sin and if they're not going to go to hell because they're doing something wrong then they're just going to keep sinning and it's like listen people they people are they're going to do what they're going to do. But we have to understand that the coverage was coverage for this entire life. We have to understand that. And if you really get a hold of it, if it becomes more than information and becomes a revelation, the application will be the righteousness that God's given you will become a tool and you will become an instrument of righteousness in the earth. You won't want to live unrighteous because you'll be like, oh, God, I love you. I'd never want to do anything that I shouldn't do. That's the real effect of what happens for people that get a hold of what God did. So it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Listen to this. It's saying that baptism doesn't remove the filth of the flesh. We still have to deal with flesh. The more you renew your mind, the less flesh you'll have to deal with, but we're still living in a, in a mortal body that we have to deal with things. So it's saying baptism is not the removal... Of, uh, of, filth of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's some pretty strong language there. It could have said a lot of other things, that it's the answer for keeping people out of hell. It's the answer for all these other things, but it says a good conscience. Why is a good conscience so important? A good conscience is important because you won't relate to God right if you don't have a good conscience. Someone who's got a messed up conscience, it's the internal decision maker, I'm telling you. Someone who has a messed up conscience, if, it is, if it's guilt-ridden, which is where the vast majority of humanity is, if it's guilt-ridden, and that's where they're at, and I, and I say this often, so bear with me for repeating it, but it has to be understood If it's guilt-ridden, they will find themselves trying to numb it through uh, sinful things. Drugs, alcohol, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, you know? That's what they'll do. They'll do that to try to numb the pain on the inside because the pain of a guilty conscience is a real thing. It's a real thing. And if they don't do it that way, I'm talking about outside of Christ, they're either going to numb it, Or they're going to try to make it better, feel better, their conscience feel better by the works that they do. Thinking that if I can do enough good works, if I can do enough good stuff, I'll say it that way, then my conscience is going to be good. That's called self-righteousness. And... It's, it's such the, the, the lie and the deception of the enemy to think that either one of those things could ever fix your conscience. Because if you're going to go down the, the path of doing the bad stuff, all you're going to do is you're going to do something bad. You've automatically entered into Satan's death cycle because he's going to tempt you to do the thing that you shouldn't do. You do the thing, and then you come back and you go, oh, I feel so guilty for this thing. And then what do you do to fix it? You go right back and you do the same thing over again. This is why people are addicted there are, there are physical and psychological addictions, but there are addictions. Most people are addicted to fixing their conscience, thinking that that will do it, when all it does is it buys them a very temporary relief. The drugs, the, whatever it is, you stick in there, and there's no condemnation for any of that stuff. But that's, what, that's why people do that. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that if you're going to go get hooked on meth or cocaine or smoke pot or do any of this kind of stuff, you don't have to be a genius to realize that doesn't come to a very good end because we have a whole society of people that are hooked on all kinds of drugs that the end result is never a good thing. So why do they do it? Are they stupid? No. They have a guilty conscience. They have a heavy conscience, and they don't know anything else to do but to try to numb it because, see, when you take... Drugs, or you take alcohol, or you do these different things that people do, it it sends endorphins, and it does things to make you feel good for the moment. But the end result is you feel even worse. And eventually, when people can't find them, get themselves out of this cycle, sometimes people find that suicide is their only hope. It's not a hope, but that's what they feel is a hope, because it will get them out of the pain and out of the misery. So then you have the other side of it, where you have people that get into self-righteousness. And it's the same trap. As soon as you get into saying, and people don't do, they don't, they don't like consciously go through this and go, well, if I just do this, then I'm really going to be okay. But they get, they get into that cycle anyways. And they're like, well, I'm going to do this thing. And and it makes them feel good. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good for doing good things, but it doesn't justify you before the Lord. It doesn't really truly clean your conscience. The only thing that can clean your conscience is a revelation of the fact that we now live on the other side with the resurrected Savior. And he is the only one that could ever make us totally clean before God. It could never be any good works or any works that people do to try to 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 appease their conscience or appease God or whatever they think they need to do. And so they get in and they do this thing, and then all of a sudden Satan moves the bar. They think it's God, but Satan moves the bar and says, you did this, but actually I need you to do this right here. And they're like, oh man, God's got something else for me. He's got something else for me to do. I'm just, me and Jesus are trekking together. And, you know, you can, I've talked to these people like this, and it's like, man, you just need to relax in the Lord a little bit. You always feel like you got to do something. Just be with the Lord, and God will help you go do the thing you need to do, but just be with God. And so they do this thing, it's not enough. They do this thing, it's not enough. They do this thing, it's not enough. And eventually you find them usually quitting on God. Because they they could never have the thing on the inside satisfied. How do you satisfy the thing on the inside? You have to take the word of God and you have to allow the spirit of God with the word of God to cleanse your conscience from dead works so that you can serve him. Let me show you this from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Maybe my most favorite passage in the whole Bible. Let's go to verse 9 and I'm going to read a few verses here. Can you guys hang with me for a couple more minutes? Are you getting something out of this? So it says that um, in verse 9, and I'm jumping right in the middle here for time's sake, but this is talking about all the, or the priestly ordinances and the things that were taking place. And it's, and it's saying that those things uh, were symbolic. So it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Here we have the realm of the conscience coming back again. Verse 10, it says, concerned only with foods and drinks... Various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. You know what Reformation is? It's not an obliteration of the old. It's taking the old and reforming it to make it be what it's supposed to be. The idea of a priest in blood, you know, sacrifices, all of that, that was always God's design. That's why he had them do, the law told them to do those things. It wasn't because that would that would appease their conscience. It was pointing them To a time that would come, which was Jesus, that when that time came, he would be the ultimate sacrifice that would be perpetuated from that point forward. And if you understood that it was done, and it was done, and it was finished, and it was accomplished, and it was done, and it was finished, and I mean it was really finished, then you wouldn't try to do anything beyond that to try to appease your conscience because faith in what Christ did was enough to fill everything from the point of salvation to the point of your death. So Reformation wasn't throwing out the old, but it was, it was coming in and reworking and really making it what it really needed to be to cause the full clean conscience to come. So it says in verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Some people say, well, that's once for all people. I agree with that. But in context, this is talking about time. It says, having obtained eternal redemption, uh, once for all he did that. For, in verse 13, for if the blood of bull, bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your, what does it say? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works are things that people do to try to make themselves feel better for the works that they've done. It's self-righteousness. And all it is is a Band-Aid on an amputated arm. The only way that we can be made whole in the realm of our conscience, the only way we can be made whole is to have the information and then revelation and then apply it. Information, revelation, and then application. And what is that? It's that what Christ did was more than enough It wasn't based on our works at all. It was from the time of the cross, and when we receive it by faith, it is perpetuated in throughout all eternity, and it doesn't ever end. It has nothing to do with our works. It had everything to do with his works, and that's why it was eternal, because nothing that man does is eternal, but everything that God does is eternal. And if you can understand, if you can really grab a hold of this, that because of what he did, it changed the relationship between us and God, because it was the, the, the blood that covered everything eternally, then you don't have to have a heavy conscience ever again. All of a sudden, addicts become free. All of a sudden, people that have been in self righteousness bound by hating themselves because they never measure up are set free when they realize what the blood of the Lamb really did. My God. And so then all of a sudden your internal decision maker gets turned and says, I'm going to serve Christ all the days of my life. Why would I want to serve anything or anybody else? There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater to do. He, he did everything for me. He did everything for me. And now I can come in and reap all the benefits of being with him. And I don't ever have to have a guilty conscience. And any time the enemy comes and he tries to bring me into any kind of guilt or shame... It's nothing but an illegal violation of the covenant rights that I have with my God through my Savior Jesus in His blood. He has no right to condemn me for anything. Because Jesus has already, He has already brought the court case into heaven's legal system and He has said, it is done, it is finished, it's accomplished, and there's no more work that needs to be done ever again. That's why, whenever Jesus died on the cross, it was, who spoke it? Uh, it is finished. The Father, right? Right? Jesus said, it is finished. Sorry, I had a brain fart for a second. Jesus said, it is finished. What was he talking about? All, all the, the, the work or whatever it would be to bring people before the Lord with a clean conscience. Because it says that the veil was rent from top to bottom. God's the one that rent the veil. And and, and that veil was, uh, most Bible scholars believe it was at least 15 feet tall, and it was inches thick. And it was, no man could just rip that. But it was rent, ripped from the top to the bottom. And it was God saying, I'm done with this stuff. And there's nothing separating me from you, and I'm not going to be in a building anymore. I'm going to come and dwell on the inside of my people. And because I've come, and I've come to live on the inside of my people, and it's a done deal, and it's based on Christ's works, their wrong actions aren't going to undo the eternal redemption that I've given them and the placement of my Holy Spirit on the inside of them. It's just a forever thing. It's a gift. It's free. It's the gift of righteousness, and it's going to keep going. And as, and as long as they want to draw from it, they'll reap the benefits of knowing who they are in need. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit International.com.